0: Chapter 15 is our text. Last two weeks here in Mark. I was thinking since we went one chapter at a time through Mark, maybe next week I'd do one verse at a time through Numbers. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, tell your friends. I'm not sure where we're going to go after Mark, but we'll see. Kind of like this chapter at a time thing. So, uh, Let's read it. Immediately in the morning <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. let's read it <laughs> together. Uh, immediately in the morning, the chief priest had a- held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, "Are you the king of the Jews?" He answered and said to him, "It is as you say." And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, "'Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you.' But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Now at the feast, Pilate was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whoever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, "'Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews?' for he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him who you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. But then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, Released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he scourged him to be crucified. And then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison. They clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him, "Hail, hey, King of the Jews!" Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they struck him. Uh, they worshipped him. Excuse me. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off of him put his own clothes on him, led him out to crucify him. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated the place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, The king of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which said, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others, he himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he's calling out for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less, and of Joseph, and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate, asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that Jesus was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he brought fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in the linen, and laid him in a tomb, which had been hewn out of the rock, rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid. There are really two different looks that I'd like us to take at this text. This text, uh, the first, of course, is to look at Jesus. You you can't come to the crucifixion story without pausing to reflect on what it is Christ did for us there, and how horrifying it really must have been. As we look at the verses, in one sense, we see Jesus doing very little. You know, for especially in a book like Mark, where Jesus is talking so much and doing so much and moving around so much. You know, we, he doesn't really say all that much. He doesn't really take much action. He simply goes along with what is unfolding around him. Yet we understand that this chapter is the pivotal point of all human history. It is the culmination of God's plan of redemption. And these verses, in these verses we see what great things Christ suffered and what great lengths he went to so that he might save you and I. This is the demonstration of how much value God places on the people of earth. That he would pay this sort of price in order to repair the broken relationship between us. That, that's a rift that we created. But here demonstrated we see the kind of value that God places on us. The text says that he was numbered with the transgressors. It was a prophecy of course that we see fulfilled as Jesus was shamefully hung naked between two thieves. And so literally he was hung with criminal transgressors. But it also reminds us that we are the transgressors. You and I are the transgressors. uh, But Jesus made himself sin for us. He numbered himself with us so that we might receive his righteousness. The king of the whole universe, the creator of all things, determined to identify with us so that he could pay a debt that he did not owe. And without being too graphic or reveling in the violence of the crucifixion, I think it is important to realize that God could have orchestrated a different kind of execution. I was just thinking about this yesterday about how you know, the Lord you know, could have determined to send his son to pay the debt for sin at any time and in any culture and, and in any you know, type of execution. Uh, it was death that w- was required for sin, for the sins of the world. But God did not settle on a painless injection like we have today or a simple beheading. Uh, when offering up his son. Because in the crucifixion, we see how far God is really willing to go in his love for us. Farther than anything in our imagination, farther than any person should have to endure, more excruciating than any other punishment or sentence. You know, the Lord effectively sent himself into a culture where um, that, uh, that affected execution and, and, and torture in execution. And the crucifixion reveals the thoughts of God in his heart for us, that he considers us priceless, that he is willing to pay the cost to bring us salvation. And as you look at the physical and emotional and shameful links that Jesus went to so that he might offer a person salvation, you—you you know we may not see Jesus saying many things, but what he was saying with his actions was, yes, yes, I will pay this price for you. I know exactly what's about to happen, and I've orchestrated this from before the foundations of time and I will do this for you he was willfully offering himself to this terrible, terrible death because of the value he places on your life and my life and he was demonstrating how active and how real his love really is Uh, he, he was numbered with us by his own design and by his own free will because of his personal love for you and for me that's why he endured the crucifixion and anyone, any group, or any person, or any teaching that would attempt to limit Jesus' love for the people of Earth, or limit his sacrifice, or devalue God's feelings for the people of Earth, is just an affront to the crucifixion, which fully accomplished what we could not. And so, just not to pause necessarily on the the brutality or the violence of the crucifixion, but to to pause and think that you know the Lord could have accomplished this in any number of ways, but he went to the farthest extreme to demonstrate his great love for us. And so when we read this account, we should remember that each stage of his suffering, each one was worse than the rest, but it was a step that Jesus took with me in mind. It was a step he took with you in mind. The beating and the the illegal trials and the beatings and the scourgings and the carrying of the cross and then the crucifixion. Each one worse than the last and each one was like, yes, I, I continue to... To, to love Gene, I continue to love the people of this earth, I continue my desire to send them an, uh, an offer of salvation and, and reconciliation. Because we are worth it to God. We are the object of His affection. And though Jesus despised the shame of the cross, the Bible says that the prospect of making right what we had made wrong was a joy to Him. And so, you know, this is just a mind-blowing revelation of, of who, who God is and what His heart really is for you and for me um, and, and it's a, a very beautiful thing it is a love that cannot be overcome by any force or by any evil or by any suffering it is a supreme conquering enduring love that's what we see in the crucifixion now our desire is not only to see Jesus you know which is obviously the most important thing but then of course we want to apply these things to ourselves and looking at these verses you know probably sets a new uh, you know, group of thoughts spinning in our heads when we remembered what Jesus said a few chapters ago that we as disciples are to take up a cross ourselves. So, you know, I mean, it, it's one thing to hear him say that back in Mark chapter 8. But now to see what that meant and see how, how that was physically carried out here in Mark chapter 15 is pretty shocking that Jesus says, hey, uh, you're going to take up a cross the way I took up a cross. And, and um, I mean, it's shocking. But again, we find that the life God is calling us to is not a partial commitment, it's not a weekend hobby. We are called to the kind of surrender and willingness that we see God demonstrating in His act of saving us from sin on the cross. And so even if we here in this group are not going to end our lives in martyrdom, and we probably aren't, the Lord says that what He's looking for is the kind of submission and the kind of selflessness and the kind of following that Jesus embodied as He carried His cross to Calvary. Uh, but then the devotionally, I thought there was a lot of stuff that we could learn by looking at the other people in this text, because if you took this text and made it into like a play, say, I mean, there's a huge cast, really. Um, th- there's, there's a whole bunch of people here, the religious leaders and Pilate and the crowd, um, they're talking to Pilate, there's Simon the Cyrenian, the soldiers and the centurion at the cross, the pastors by at Golgotha and the man who offered Jesus sour wine. There's Joseph of Arimathea, Women Watching From Afar. And so there's just a ton of people, you know, cast in this uh, story. And and each of them can teach us something. If we went through and looked at each one and and what they were doing and how they were responding, I mean, there's a lot that we could learn um, devotionally. But largely, this chapter is the compilation of people who didn't do the right thing when the time came. People who, you know, just had their own motivations or, or just went along with the crowd or... Or, you know, or or just didn't do the right thing. Obviously, Pilate is the guy who most embodies that statement. I mean, of all of the people in this text, he very willfully and knowingly, for no reason, sent Jesus to torture and death, uh, despite the fact that it was clear he had done nothing criminal. So he didn't hate Jesus like the religious leaders. I mean, you understand why the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. They hated him. They were envious of him. Pilate just... He just I know this guy didn't do anything, but these people are you know, giving me a little bit of pressure, and so, yeah, I'm just going to kill this guy, and, and it's really shocking. But there at the end of the text, we see at least one guy doing the right thing, Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, as so many other disciples abandoned Jesus or looked the other way or, or just went along with the crowd, uh, as so many other people part- participated in what was going on that day, we see this guy taking a stand and doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And I'm glad that it's at the end of the chapter because, you know, devotionally, we always talk about and believe that discipleship and living out the Christian life is not about what we do to make God happy with us. Instead, it's it's about seeing what God has done and then we respond to it. And that's kind of the picture we see here in the chapter, seeing that God isn't waiting for us to earn his favor, but that he has already gone the distance to reach out to us. And then because of his love for us, we choose to follow after him and love him in return and be disciples. And, and there was a moment for this guy, Joseph of Arimathea, where he could respond and take a stand and follow Jesus even when all the others had abandoned him. Look at verse 42 again quickly. It said, Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, Coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marvelled that Jesus was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he brought fine linen, uh, excuse me. Then he bought fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in the tomb which had been hewn out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. What I like about this little section is the fact that we see Joseph described as a man who was waiting for the kingdom of God. And then we see him actually being a part of the kingdom of God, actively being a part of that work. And those are two things that we are called to as Christians today. We're to watch and to wait and to be excited about the future eternal kingdom of God. But it's also essential that we actively participate in the kingdom work right now. And that's what Joseph did. I mean, really... It wasn't anything huge or spectacular, it wasn't anything miraculous. It was a simple thing that he did. But he it wasn't without risk or sacrifice or difficulty. Uh you know, Joseph understood that he was potentially laying his life down for Christ when he went into Pilate. I mean Pilate, this was the guy who just tortured and murdered murdered an innocent man because some Jewish leaders asked him to do it. You know, and so obviously to go in and identify with Christ and say, Hey, I, I want to identify with this guy right now. You know, obviously, on the day of his execution, that was not without risk. And so we have to give Joseph that. But the text says he took courage. And I love that because I, I'm sure he was afraid. You don't t- need courage if you aren't afraid and if there isn't a you know, scary task in front of you. But he took courage and then he took a step of faith. He, said he, went into, he went into Pilate and he says, give me the body. I'm asking for it. And he took a step of faith. He did what he could to honor his Lord. And while I said that what he did was simple, it it definitely wasn't easy, uh, the task that he did here. It wasn't glamorous. It wasn't exciting. You know, it it says that he went and he detached Jesus' body from the cross. And um, I'm, I'm sure that was a terrible thing. He carried his body down, wrapped him, and buried him. The text says that he rolled the stone against the door. And now, you know, I have to believe that this was not the kind of work that this guy did day to day. I mean, this guy was not a grave digger. It says he was a prominent council member. This was a man of wealth and a man of influence, a man who made decisions for other people. But when it came to his discipleship and his faith in the Lord, he humbled himself and did what needed doing. It was difficult. I'm sure it was even disgusting on some levels. But in that moment... He moved from just waiting for the kingdom to also being an active part of the kingdom. And that's us. We're going through life, different areas of work, different circles of influence. All day from morning till evening, like we see in this text, our faith in our Lord are being assaulted by people and derided by people and attacked by people of this world. We look at this chapter, we see how many people were just lashing out against Jesus and all the things that they said and all this wickedness that was surrounding what was going on. But Joseph of Arimathea's job wasn't to overcome all of that. I mean, his job wasn't to go out and transform the entire city of Jerusalem and convince everybody to stop what they were doing. God is the one who's working on the hearts of men. Joseph didn't have to go out and convert the whole nation and and undo what had been done. Joseph's job was something simple. He was called to do something simple. Go take the body of Jesus and lay it in a tomb. It, It took courage. It took faith. It took willingness and humility. But it was the right thing to do. Uh, and God honors our efforts when we act righteously and rightly. He honors our lives when we take up the work of His kingdom. And so today, this morning, maybe you're not going to go somewhere where you're going to be barraged with anti-Christian sentiment or uh, you know, attacks against your God or your faith when you leave this place. M- you know, maybe you are going to experience that, but maybe not. But wherever you go to whatever people God has placed you beside, you should take courage in the fact that Jesus Christ has gone the distance for you. Jesus Christ has gone the distance so that he could remove separation between you and him. He has gone all the way so that you can have victory, so that you can know him as your creator and savior. And so be courageous. Take courage to yourself. And then when those moments arise, when you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart to do something, you know, for him or to speak to someone, man, don't just go along with the crowd. Don't scatter away from the Lord. Don't give up the task if it's not easy. Just take a step of faith. Take a small step of faith and say, okay, let's see, Lord, what you want to do here. Do what is right in those moments that the Lord is calling you. Because most, thing that God, most things that God asks us to do are simple. What, what the Lord asked Joseph here to do was simple. Uh, they may not be easy all the time, but they're simple. And if we're willing to do those things with courage and with faith, then we're going to be accomplishing the work of God's kingdom and we'll be living life the way God called us to. He is identified with us. So we and we have identified with him as Christians, so let's continue the work he started on earth as he continues the work he began in our hearts. amen.